0: Who am I? What am I doing? I'm not teaching at all. And I'm running a business. I was miserable. And it was that light bulb was like, I need to reorganize my business. I didn't build this from my strengths. I built it because of what other people were doing online.
1: A crisis of identity can turn into a powerful turning point in your life and work. When you have a fork in the road moment, you're given some clarity and some choices. But it sure can be overwhelming too. You see how you can keep going as you are with the comfort of the known, even though it may suck, (laughs) or you can do something different, which can feel really risky. And maybe you're one to jump into the new path and figure things out as you go. Or maybe you're one to study, consult, and plan before taking the leap into the unknown. Now, we crave certainty when the stakes are high, so the known is attractive. But there comes a point where we have to move in a new direction, because the status quo is not sustainable. So we look at our choices and often feel the tug to do what we think we're supposed to do, right? We all have PhDs on what we're supposed to do. We've breathed in these messages on what it means to be a success and be responsible. Plus, like me, you've taken the classes, you've connected with mentors, you've joined communities and masterminds. Yeah, sure, we need to learn from others, But we need to take the skills we learn and make them our own. And if we don't, we end up building a business and a life that does not fit us at all. In fact, it can be downright harmful. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with leaders whose burdens have inspired their life's work. Our goal is to learn how they've addressed these burdens, how they rise from them and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. Growing up inevitably leads to a crisis of identity. It is a natural part of the developmental life cycle. We do not talk about it enough. The common crisis of identity often referred to as a quarter-life crisis or a midlife crisis are common developmental experiences. For me, I held the belief that the idea of transitioning careers and changing professional interests was flaky, even wasteful. I know for others, many do not want to be forced into one professional identity, but the pressure is still great to have a clear answer to what do you do? Now, I grew up being told like, who was the creative one? Who was the smart one? And who was the sporty one? There was no space for others or for me to hold a multiplicity of skills and interests. And sadly, I think the collective culture still likes to box us into one identity and tell us who we should be. Changing careers stirred up a lot of the shoulds in myself and in those around me, but as I grew and matured, I refined who I thought I should be and came more into who I truly longed to be as I honored the desire to stretch into new areas of work and interest. I stopped listening to those who wanted me to play it safe or did not get my continual evolutions. It was scary and lonely at times, but it's worth it. That crisis of identity that I went through and so many go through is a data point of a normal and appropriate growth edge you are working through. It's a response as we move through the stages of growth and development, and we don't talk about these enough and the common crisis of identity they stir in us. That's why I am so excited about today's unburdened Leader Conversation. My guest went through her own shifts in her career and identity and is growing a business and a life that looks very different from her original plan. Dr. Lindsay Padilla is an ex-community college professor who accidentally started a business while on the 10 track. Now as the CEO and co-founder of the Hello Audio software, which takes your content and creates private audio feeds to make learning on the go much easier for your people, Lindsay challenges online industry norms of unfinished courses and unconsumed content with her product. All of her business ideas were born out of her 10-year track years teaching adults online at a community college and the ridiculous amount of learning she's done in all things education, along with the years spent growing her course creation business online. Now listen for the data Lindsay collected that led to her leaving a career she thought she would do for the rest of her life. Pay attention to the windy paths towards her business today and the role networking played in her successes. And notice how Lindsay navigated immense losses while staying focused on what mattered most to her. I am... Especially excited about our conversation today. I get to introduce you all to a colleague, uh, actually someone who's used to live not too far from me and I moved a little bit to North County. But y'all, I'd love to welcome Dr. Lindsay Padilla to the Unburdened Leader podcast today. Lindsay, welcome. Yay. Thanks for having me. All right. So I want to jump in today and have you answer a question that you've probably been asked a lot about, but hopefully we can approach it a little differently. But I think this is a juicy story. I would mm-hmm. love for you to tell us about the day that you handed in your resignation letter, or maybe it was press send on your computer, mm. finalizing the decision for you and your husband, <laughs> that he has both made to leave the comfort and security of your academic jobs to become entrepreneurs. Months, before you were tenured, I think yeah. that's important to <laughs> note. So, yeah, share. Tell us about that that moment where you made it official.
0: Yeah. So it's sitting in my dean's office. Yeah. So like the step uh. before maybe um, hitting send on the letter was telling people who you know employed me and the people who had to find the people to take over the full time full-time work. So I was a full-time professor at a community college in the fall semester of 2016, a college in Northern California. It was my dream job. It was everything I worked up to in my, you know, 30, 32 or three years up until that point. And I was so scared about that conversation because I think as a teacher, as somebody who goes into service work, right, where you're like giving yourself, I love teaching and I was good at it. So I'm not that entrepreneurial story where you were trying to escape something. Like I left something. I'm actually tearing up. I haven't talked about I, this like moment in a long time. So I'm glad you I asked see it. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. Because it means a lot to me. Like teaching is, is, was a vocation for me. It truly was. So that, that moment I felt like actually at that time, you're like making me think about how, what I was thinking what I was going through at the time I was processing, feeling like I was leaving students behind. Yeah. It was in the middle of a school year. So it wasn't the summer. We have that summer break where there's that separation. And if you're an educator, you know what that feels like. And it's good and it's needed in many cases. But it was in the middle of an academic year. So I also felt not only like I was leaving my students behind and the future students who I could have had. So it was like I was seeing that part. It was also my colleagues, people I cared about that you know, put their neck on the line to hire me to stand up for Mm. me to be hired in that position. It's very competitive to get a full-time position. And so the Dean, yeah, I was really nervous about that conversation. I thought I had preconceived notions of like, you know, I'm a sellout. Like who's, who does she think she is? Like she abandoned us or like she's, you know, she, she lied to us. Like, I think I had a storyline in my head, because I, I, so I was only employed by that school about three years. So to your Mm -hmm. point of we just left before tenure, my husband also, so he was closer to tenure, I was a year and a half. And he was one semester, I know the adjuncts out there and the other faculty who wanted that position. And I think that's, that was the hard part for me was it felt like I was leaving an identity. The reason why I'm crying now is I think, That was unresolved. And the first couple of years in my business, I I kind of like pushed it aside and I didn't realize that I was pushing it aside. But I truly left a path that I had set out for myself and chose to go in this very uncharted place, or it felt uncharted to me. It didn't, it didn't have a path. It didn't have the PhD and the and the job. Like there was no like exact path. And so it felt like, oh, I'm doing this thing and it's for a bigger, a bigger potential reason and a potential higher impact on the world. But it was almost like honoring past Lindsay, who that was her big
1: impact was what she would do in the class. So, okay. You tell me about the tears right now. Tell me about <laughs> the emotion. Yeah. Cause I'm saying you, you cared about this work. You cared about your students. You care about your team members. Yeah. And you're noticing that those younger parts of you that that was what you were working for. That was that your was life's yeah. goal. Yep. That was and, that moment. Mm-hmm. So this is almost five years ago yeah. and since you <laughs> made that decision at the recording yeah. of this conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What else? What else are you noticing as you reflect on that? So I, <laughs>
0: I think I'm just like like addressing that path. So the so what did the dean do? Right. I had all this. Oh my gosh! I'm the worst person. I'm the worst colleague. The opposite. Mm he was like, you are so brave. I'm so you figured out something
1: different. Like, I I can't wait to see what see what you do. He believed in you. He love bombed you. I, I wasn't expecting that from the dean,
0: the person who has to like, scramble, not that there are <sighs> amazing adjuncts that were working at the institution. Like I knew I was opening up a position like I think about this when when I think about hiring within my company now is like sometimes when someone isn't the right fit for that role, it feels like you're hurting them. But the reality is, is you could be letting them on to something better. And so I did really try to ground myself in the I'm opening this up for that excited teacher that I was that I'm not right now like that. That's not my path. And Mm. I'm opening that up. And so I think he and in respect for him like, didn't make me feel bad about it. Like, didn't make me feel like I was leaving anybody. And he also was like, you know, we don't make enough money as professors. You are doing something a little bit different with our knowledge. And you're still that same human that can make an impact. And if you fast forward a couple years, you know, and everything that's happening with COVID and, you know, just in general, educators aren't paid a lot. So I think it's it's always in the back of their mind about what could they do something different with their degree? Or like, what does a different path look like? And I think it was in the early days of paving that out. And which is why I started my podcast, Academics Mean Business, because I felt and that was me processing that identity of like, has anyone else done this? Am I silly? Like, mm. why aren't we talking about people leaving academia? And so I wanted to interview people in that in that position. Because yeah, the reality was I was met with Good for you. Like that's awesome. And not what I was expecting. That's
1: wonderful. Well, and I, I a couple of things. The the emotion I'm sensing for you, you weren't entitled. You recognized mm. that this is a, a in, in the world of academia, a tenured full-time professor gig is a great gig <laughs> in that world. Yep. So absolutely. And, and anyone listening could think about whatever that relates to in their field and you got it, you and yeah. your husband, you you had it. I'm seeing that that sense of responsibility mm-hmm. that you had, mm-hmm. it wasn't like peace out, effort. You recognized yeah. you weren't owed much, but you had earned this and you didn't want to disappoint others. Is that what I'm sensing? Sure. People that you cared about who took a risk in you. And so it took even more courage mm. to leave a good thing. So I'm curious then, and I'm sure those listening are too. So what was weighing you both down in your jobs as professors that Mm. led to this shift, even this great experience? (laughs) Nothing. nothing. Like I, I got into teaching college level. Uh,
0: specifically because of the autonomy and uh, the love of the subject, and and specifically community college for the love of teaching and not so much the love of research, right? So that I didn't go down the path of an R1 institution or or, or anything like that. I felt really at home. I made a lot of choices to make my life look a certain way. and And like I said, I really did love it. And I felt supported at my school. I was always involved in the union at, at at most institutions, adjuncts get paid horribly. So I was I was always thinking about, you know, just just you know rights of 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 professors and stuff like that so that had always been something that i was passionate about is is thank you, know, you fair pay as a and, chronic
1: yeah. as a chronic adjunct professor thank correct.
0: you correct <laughs> uh, fair pay was really important to me all the things yeah i felt like i was making my impact there it was it's very fulfilling teaching is very fulfilling and there was a little bit of some admin issues on our campus specifically but you know at, at the end of the day I I loved what I did day in and day out so the what was weighing on me I think was the I think it's part of it's probably some ADHD which we can get into later undiagnosed I was in a very structured environment so sometimes I would I would you know criticize myself for not being super organized in my class but I actually because I'm a professor and I can decide how my class is organized, I was able to. Be, I was basically making decisions that felt good for me, which in time nice. felt good for my students. My dissertation was about the emotions of, of learning, teaching, and learning in the classroom as it relates to human rights education and talking about you know social justice and and things going on in the world because I taught sociology. So it was. I felt very, very connected to my work. I had just produced research that was with my work and with colleagues. So all the things adding up to like a very healthy, right? Like relationship with her job. And then I started going oh, maybe I should work out. Well, guess what happened? I was like feeling amazing. Like the best I'd ever felt in my life. I was so happy. I was all the things. And and I got into an MLM. (laughs) I was selling Beachbody products on accident. And I was sitting here being like, Oh, academics and teachers could totally like work out in the morning. We're busy like all the things like that you you realize and I w- felt good and I wanted other people to feel like me. And so I started selling that. And when it introduced an extra 1000 bucks a month, I was sitting here going, "Oh, it's huh. not about saving, you know, not spending money on Starbucks with this like now salary. What about income streams?" It was just this world that I had never considered because of my path. And Yeah. So like, I I think the weighing was more like the opportunity, the weighing of doing something bigger and that excitement. And that's where that ADHD comes in of like, what else can I do? Like, what else can I generate if I've, I've accomplished this other thing? I remember saying to my husband at one point, coming back from buying my first course and getting into this, I remember saying to him like, oh, this is it we both landed the full-time jobs we bought a house it, we solved the two body problem in academia where our, our schools were near each other i was like is this is this all there is like and here i am at like 33 saying that out loud and it's like totally yeah so i'm just having that moment and and i think it blew up faster than i was expecting to and like different things fall in, fell into place and it was like oh i can create a whole different life that i didn't even know that i could create
1: and then once you saw that, you couldn't unsee it. Nope. And so you had this, all this amazing goodness in your life, mm. but then bringing in this side hustle by accident. And and because with that, with all, and especially MLMs, but any kind, yeah. you learn about marketing and yep. audience and all of this stuff. And it was just, I could almost sense then your brain, it was like, you're like just clicking. Absolutely. And all of a sudden, whole new worldview and then you you didn't just sit it just and then it sounds like it went quick so then tell me more like like from the awareness of side mm. hustle to getting your first idea for your first business, build a better beta. Walk us through that.
0: Okay, yeah. So yeah, and I'll, I'll try to collapse timeline. So um, selling MLM, start listening to Amy Porterfield, Pat Flynn through Shalene Johnson. And so I started to, and this is like the early days of Periscope. So like live video is coming out and I was like, I could do live video. I love that kind of thing. And so all of this was all lining up. This is all the year of 2015. And I, I think my path in 2015 was I can do it better then my upline is doing it. That was my ceiling of awareness. Turn that corner of that year because that's when I... The first program I bought was Todd Herman's 90-day year. And I thought I wasn't organized, right? Here's the ADD, ADD person who's like, I'm not productive. <laughs> I wish I could go back and be like, girl, that's not the problem. But that's what I thought was. So I thought buying this system would make me you know, more efficient in my business. But what it ended up doing was finding out Oh, I could build a thing outside of Beachbody. I shouldn't be slanging shakes. What can I make? What can I sell? And Mm -hmm. it was going to his live event, which is April of 2016. I went to his live event and I sat next to Melissa Melissa Griffin, of all people, who is... I amazing, amazing course creator, super successful. I was at this very successful table, which is another storyline in my journey is always like Lindsay's always networking. And she just was like bringing up this little Pinterest course that she had. She was like, I have this course and I have thousands of people go through it, but people aren't finishing. I just remember being like, Oh, yeah. You know, so like, how do you organize it? Right? How are you organizing it? And you know, here, have you tried this? And she looks me in the eye. And she's like, why aren't you telling everyone this? No one at this table knows how to teach. And that was the day where I was like, oh shit. And I think that that's the piece where it was like, I'm health coaching on the side. I love teaching. But then when that came in, I was just like, who am I to hold back this information from people who are teaching really great things? And this is the very beginning of the event, like first lunch. And so that event was downloaded every like speaker and every conversation. And Adrian Dorson hired me at the event to do something with her course. And I just walked up to her and I was like, girl, I can help people finish. And she was really into efficiency and all this stuff. So I just came with that energy. And guess what? Summer rolls around. What is what do I have to do in the summer? I actually have a totally open calendar. So, heading into that fall, so it's August, Derek comes to me and he's like, "I don't think you should go back to teaching right now." Oh. You probably shouldn't go back right now and I was like, "I need closure." <laughs> but I hear you. Noted, right? And so I head into that fall semester and here's the moment because of my networking, and I don't even know how, Trevinia Barber reached out to me, Amy Porterfield's VA, executive assistant at the time. She's like, what if I partnered with you? There are people that Amy's teaching to create courses, and they need a little bit extra curriculum support. I was like, okay, tell me more. And so we had this call and I remember taking this call in my office that had no windows because <laughs> I was, a, you know, you got to go through the ranks to get windows. And it's the middle of the you know, <laughs> hall. I have no windows. And I remember like secretly taking this call, like my brain was exploding. Trevinia gets on the phone and she says, I sold a $60,000 package for you. And I was like, what? And here I am. Office, right? My salary's $67,000. <laughs> and I'm imagining my ladder. And I remember, I remember in opening up into this world, I could hit $100,000 in 20 years. Okay. And it, oh, oh my gosh. And I remember calling Derek, shaking and laughing because I was like, this is silly. Like, what's happening? And he's like, oh my gosh. And I was like, what do we do? And then he's like, you're leaving. And then I think on the way home, when I got back and talked and he's like, I think I should leave too. Cause it was like, what, like, what is, like, what is this? And so, yeah. So it moved very fast and it's, it's like very dramatic feeling. Like I'm, I'm like getting back into that energy, but those are the types of signs that the universe was sending me (laughs) as I was on my way out. There was another really interesting thing that happened where, um, on our campus, I taught one of my sections, um, in a, in one of those bungalow type emergency where they create them cause there's not enough space. And it was like in the parking lot. Right. Um, <laughs> the day after I teach a driver ran into that exact bungalow, uh, students were hurt Holy by where cow. they were sitting, but there was, there was no, no deaths or anything like that. And, and it was, you know, I just remember this like visceral reaction of like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> it was like, this is also unsafe and, and we could also talk about school shootings and and other things that were happening as in and, and the type of procedures that we are doing at our community college level. Mm-hmm. And so that was another sign where I was like, I'm, I'm just leaving. So the way we funded this, so people listening are like, did you have all this money in savings? Like, you know, they're probably asking that part of this <laughs> conversation that fell into place was let's sell our house. We don't need a house anymore. Because we don't need to show up to a physical location. So that hit us and and we had purchased a property in Petaluma and we had, I mean, it's silly, you know, two and a half years into selling a house to, so selling the house became a project and so did launching the business um, or like getting the things in place that would make it somewhat stable. So the, we funded it through that. I think that's mm-hmm. really important to, you know, say out loud in our plan at that point was to actually Uh, We did house sitting across the world. We left in May and we did that for nine months. And so house sitting was another weird universal thing that fell in my lap, didn't even know was a thing. And it's where you go and watch people's pets all over the world and you stay at their places for free. So we were in Belgium, in Hawaii, in... Nashville, London. We we stayed wow. in these like amazing cities and we weren't actually paying rent, which is bananas. We were in Mexico. That was the first stop and it was like four months. So the summer in Mexico was amazing. So there I am in Mexico, um, now running a business. And it started to dawn on me in Mexico. And I was like, oh shit, I'm the breadwinner. <laughs> like, and breadwinning in being a solopreneur is like, go sell things and price it and all these responsibilities and hats that I don't think I like, truly thought about as somebody who is used to a salary and and healthcare, I knew we would make it we would figure it out. But I was also talking about this amazing supportive partner. Absolutely. He's amazing. And I was worried about him a little bit because I was like, what's he going to do? And he wasn't necessarily like, I'm going to be in the business. It was like, maybe he'll just support me in some way. And and so his role in those early days was like getting us the house sits, doing some of the, the caretaking of the animals. It wasn't a lot of work, but he wasn't doing a lot. And I think I started to feel scared and I wasn't used to communicating with somebody who didn't understand what I was going through. So Derek and I have lived very side-by-side parallel lives, both professors, definitely different subject matters, but that's what made our conversations interesting. And then we drove into this and it was like the first time in our whole relationship that it was like, he doesn't know what I'm doing. He doesn't get it. And that was the story mm. in my head. And like, um, and I retreated. I was uncomfortable sharing and asking for help around it. And what I didn't realize was I was actually like mirroring my mother's relationship with my father as the provider. And I didn't know that. So so the identity was like, who am I? What am I doing? And I became a manager. I all of a sudden was like, like turning into an agency. And so now I'm not teaching at all. And I'm running a business. It hit me and I that was in Mexico. It was like, I was like, I was miserable. And we could tell this was the first time we were having problems in a relationship or felt like separate. And it was like, I'm not happy. And then Derek was like, well, you're not teaching. And it was that light bulb was like, I need to reorganize my business. I didn't build this from my strengths. I built it because of what other people were doing online, which is like a whole other conversation that I know we've had before. So mm-hmm.
1: yeah, uh, there was a lot there. Yep. Take a breath there. Thank you for sharing that. And 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 you know, is there's always good data when your closest person, mm-hmm. whether it's your partner, friend, whatever, if there's conflict, whether yep. it hasn't been before, there's some data to glean. And I loved how you caught how your family of origin influenced how you were running your business. Yep. And it's like systems repeat homeostasis is an insidious little thing. And it's something that people feel like it's so separate. Like, oh, this is my personal life and this is my business life. I'm like, what's the common denominator? You're in both. Yeah,
0: and, and you, you need are to make you. money to live and survive.
1: <laughs> and like, yeah, I,
0: yeah, so part of that, that then so if we get into like where I was for the next two or three years, right running build a better beta, like starting to make some money, I still had issues. And it Yeah, it stemmed from my, you know, watching my father, who, by the way, was kind of an entrepreneur just did it with his hands. He's a laborer, but an independent contractor, he built kitchens for like really famous people. And he was running his own business because he had to find work and it was referral and, and all the things. And then my mom was tasked with like, quote unquote, bookkeeping. And, you know, he went and did the physical labor and would come back exhausted. And then my mom was responsible for taking care of all of us. And then it was like, I just remember the entire time growing up, uh, you know, her hunched over the computer with bills, like trying to make it work. And then my dad being like, oh, you just spend too much money and like hiding credit cards and all that stuff. So flip, like take that with me and, rem- and feeling like, I was, I was mirroring my mom in that I was like, I was scared about what I was doing and how I was spending money in my business and keeping my partner out because my dad was very clear like, you're creating this, I'm creating the work. And so I think I like flipped that. It was that was a lot of what I processed actually in therapy was witnessing that and how I took some of that feeling and relationship with money. And it's still something I'm I'm totally working on. But once I saw that, I'm like, Derek, wants me to succeed. He's not sitting here saying, how are you spending this money? Like, oh my gosh. And his relationship with money with his family is also very different. It was always there. His family was very well off in San Diego. He didn't have to worry about it. So also kind of dangerous because it was like, oh, everything's going to work out. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that that mix, but he was a partner and I didn't know what that looked like. And I had to break through allowing him to be a partner and carry some of the weight of, of the households. And so that's what Breadwinner, just to clarify, that's what Breadwinner meant to me as I witnessed in my family. I'm like literally doing it differently. And I feel like I'm healing a lot of my family, like generational, like how we create wealth in my line. And so that's also helping carry me as I push myself to do things like raising capital is like, oh, I'm this is scary because like, I don't know an example of this. Like
1: <laughs> and, and I, I wanna I wanna get into that. Yeah, and I okay. and I love, but I I think, man, we all have money stories, mm-hmm. we all have relationship stories, and I love to and Derek right now is an integral part of your businesses. Yes, this, and so yes. you he ended up folding in and playing, you know, you know, shifting and finding the ideal roles. And I that settled your system quite a bit. You've referenced, and I wanna touch on this now before we go into some other things. You referenced being diagnosed with ADHD, and I happen to have a little inside scoop. But this is very recent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember, like, opening up the Instagram DMs. You're like, "Hey, Rebecca, do you know somebody yeah. who could help me with this?" I'm like, "I do." Do you remember the first thing I yep. said to you, you when were, like, I, said, I said,
0: prepared for grief and like processing." Um, I think that was the language you used was grief when you're thinking through the identity and and your past as it relates to it. Yeah.
1: So, what are you learning about yourself? As you own this information about how your brain works and how you best function work and work in life. Yeah.
0: I I remember the call with the doctor who like gave the official assessment and I was nervous about not getting it. So it was like, it was like, I either have ADHD, like, please let me have ADHD because I can jump on this label and then I can do my academic thing and go research it and like all the, all the things. Um, and I remember the call we had and she's like, so you have it. And I felt this sense of relief. Like I was like, okay, cool. I I have this, I don't want to call it like an explanation because it's, it is an explanation. It is. Um, but it's a card, it's a, it's a guardrails. It's, it's a container. Guardrails. Yeah. Uh, yes. And <laughs> there's not a lot of guardrails in an ADHD brain. so it's all- <laughs> 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 Right. So I, I attached to those, um, yeah. And I just remember coming over like this overwhelming first sense of relief. And I was like, yes. And then, and then it was like, I think some of that a feeling I had at the very beginning of this call was, you know, thinking back to past Lindsay and honoring what she went through. So as we just blew through like th- th- those years of business, like I wasn't okay. And I sought therapy, didn't know therapy was an option or that I needed it. And doing that work, really you know had me face some of the cri- criticisms that i had inside my brain like i'm a bad ceo that was very common like i don't know what i'm doing why can't i hold on to money why are my friends successful in doing this in their business and i don't i i'm not attached to like this revenue but revenue is important like there was like real things i was working through we didn't do the adhd track there but i at least like was processing the thing that's actually very common in ADHD, which is like that critic, that inner critic, because our thoughts are, are pinging around, right? So as I honored her, and I was like, that was really hard. And I did it. I did the hard thing. I rumbled with it, right? That was hard. And I am good at what I do. Like I'm good at, and and it really just- You're
1: uh, you're really good at what you do. And you were carrying the burdens of these beliefs and these stories that you weren't good enough yes as a good enough wife, a good enough manager, entrepreneur, leader, And and CEO. And this diagnosis, these guardrails helped you- Redefine some of these stories, help me release some of these burdens. Tell me more about that. Yeah.
0: And I think, I think the, so yeah, I had that, that relief and that honoring of past Lindsay. And that was really hard. And then, it, and then I even like, yes, then you start to go back and look at academia. And, and she had said to me, like, well, you attached success to academics. So you made it work for you because that mattered to you. Other people with ADHD. Sh- could possibly struggle if they if they label it boring or they label it I don't need this ah. they react differently and so I had I liked I liked school and when an ADHD person ADHD person like something, they tend to like be able to hyper-focus and all all of that stuff. So like I do get into this hyper-focus mode when I am like really excited about something and it's really hard for me to do something else and at the expense of other things that need to get done in a business. And I always criticize myself, the the motivation, the distraction, all the things. That evidence was actually in college. And and so I was a procrastinator and I knew what my bottom was, which was like an A-minus minus and i just like made it work and i and i would you know stay up overnight and study something because i enjoyed it for the most part most subjects so that's why i was successful and never had the mental anguish that some people associate with school because i flipped it and it was academic success fast forward to entrepreneurship though that is not academia and i'm used to being successful <laughs> I'm used to getting A pluses, right? I'm used to and the immediate feedback, immediate too. Right? Feedback. Here's the grade. And yeah, money feedback as a media for me not good, not healthy. Based on oh, my that opinion. wasn't
1: oh interesting. That wasn't a metric that fueled the mo- motivation and nope. the focus.
0: And and I think oh. that was part of I think being a sociologist and studying Karl Marx and going through economic systems and like the things that I know. Of course, that makes so much sense. Was really challenging for me to like balance that theoretically. And of course, I want to talk theory and think about why I'm thinking something and why I feel a certain way. So yeah, that metric of success wasn't a good marker. And if you don't have that metric of success in building a business, the day-to-day is a slog. And I think that was always what I was like searching for in those like three or four years when it like felt like a struggle. Yeah.
1: And so you reflected back that, that one thing I said, be careful or just be aware of that grief is likely gonna come up. So as you are reflecting all that you have had to work through, push through, what is grief teaching you right now? What where, where what are you grieving?
0: I think yeah, I needed to to grieve maybe just some, like some of the identity stuff. Like and even just being on the beginning of this call, right? Like clearly I have such a connection to the teacher and that path. Like I have a lot of thoughts around like there are threads and paths that we choose and you can see how they play out, you know, but you pick one and that thread, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, that was a great, thread, like, that was a great thread. And I, I see threads in business. We're like, the, the Build A Better Beta and like helping teachers leave academia during COVID, that would have probably exploded, right? That's a beautiful thread. Like someone else is carrying that right now. I think I will return to that uh, thread about, you know, what it means to to be outside the academy, probably in the future, as it relates to tech, and and like I see, you know, a successful exit with Hello Audio or a potential IPO, and it's just like, whoa, this woman was a professor, right? And like, how how can we talk about you know us holding professors back inside institutions and potentially not contributing to society in some way? And Brene Brown, someone we both love, and her her dissertation work was all her work was all in my dissertation. Yeah, I think I'm grieving what academia gave me that I did enjoy and grieving. I think with just like with ADHD, yeah, like I that was a great life too. And I like that meaning I was, it would have been cool to learn that I had ADHD as a professor. I don't know if I would have felt like I had it. I think the structures as, as the, the doctor who assessed me was like, well, you know, the semester helps the grades help that because and I just built a grading system and like activities and things that I enjoyed, which is great. And, it, and my students love it. And you could compare me to the next teacher who was a big test person. Right. And it was like, Oh, cool. Like, you know, there are different types of teachers who enjoy different things. And my joy actually passes on to my students. So yeah, ooh, now you're making me think about like, speaking about this from a teaching perspective. Like I'm sure there's some academics that like might not have realized that they possibly have ADHD and feel like they don't fit in academia and they're doing things differently and they don't even know that it's tied to that. And that they're probably speaking to those students who need that outlet. And that that's a a great thing too. So it it can't always be about test scores and all the things. So
1: yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. I want to shift gears to talk about some aspects of your new company, Mm -hmm. Hello Audio, which I love. I haven't even begun to tap into how I want to use it. Last summer, we're dealing with a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. You also went through a really painful work betrayal involving this new company, Hello Audio. So can you talk about what were the stakes for you and your husband as you navigated this Mm. work betrayal? Yeah. So... Deep breath, <laughs> deep breath. And yeah,
0: and it's, it's great. Cause I feel like this conversation is going like the threads are all there. So I'm looking at, um, you know, this conversation about not feeling like a good CEO and like where I am now mm-hmm. with this company and like what things are in place that make me feel successful. Um, So, yeah, so so I'm sorry, just having a little moment where I'm connecting those dots. So I had a course business and we came up with this idea that, wow, what if there were podcast versions of courses? We sell lifetime licenses. I have no idea how to do dev and actually had no interest at the time in August of 2019 when I sold those licenses to actually label myself CEO of a tech company. So I was actually searching for someone else who was doing it that I could like partner with because Lindsay likes to partner. (laughs) and dev means development, development right yes. so having never started a tech company we didn't know that what was possible blah 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 but i knew people wanted it and so i went down this path of like trying to possibly partner with another podcast hosting company and that path is a is a process right like you're you're basically going into somebody else's business and they have board members that they're talking to whatever so months in it's february 2020 of last year and a customer basically reached out to me and was like, Hey, I think we should build this. I think I could, I could help you and we'll build it faster. And I'm not going to just go build it because of the audience and all the things is, is what she said. So um, I started to think about that. And this person Builds apps and has been doing it for the last 15 years and managing dev teams. I'm like, great, that's a skill set me and Derek don't have. We have the vision, we've run a business, we have some of like those things in place. I also felt comfortable because I had just launched a new funnel that was doing very well in that in my other business. So I, I think it's important to highlight that. Um, The person who was the breadwinner, things were coming in. So we're feeling good. And we're like, maybe we can do this. So yeah. So the first... When the pandemic hit was like the early days of that partnership. And then we worked in the pandemic. I got this gut feeling like we were building something really cool. And I saw my role in it. And I saw how I could help the company. And when you have a team behind you that quick and that early... I felt safe. I felt very like, oh, cool. Like, again, not having the ADHD diagnosis, but being like, I'm not good at X, Y, Z, da, da, da. I have people now on, we can all divide the roles in a way that makes sense for me. So we felt that pretty quickly. Yeah, so that... Um, Um, All the way from February to um, end of May of last year, we built this product, me, Derek, Nora, who are the 3 co-founders of Hello Audio, and this other person. So there were 4 co-founders at the time. And we decided to build it before we did equity, which is pretty common. You want to see what the working relationship feels like and all the things. And that person was in charge of the developer that we all collectively hired, but... um, yeah, I mean, we built something together. And there, um, there was somewhat of a confrontation in Slack, where I called myself the CEO as I was writing the welcome email, we're like two weeks out. And um, she was like, well, I don't think Two we... weeks out
1: from launching. Yeah, right? out from two launching. Out from Website launching.
0: is going live, copies ready. We've seen the product, but we actually haven't logged in and looked at code because we didn't need to, <laughs> in my head. Um, it was like, it's happening. So she says, yeah. And I, I had this weird reaction. Cause I think it's like, you know, those like spidey signals that are just kind of going off a little bit. Like I was questioning, like, does she wish she was running this? I don't know. There was a weird spidey sense. And I said to Derek, like, I'm going to respond that if that's on the table, we don't have to have an equity meeting. Like I've been operating as CEO. Like we're just talking equity. We're not like roles matter, <laughs> but like, what do you mean? And so I confronted her, and then she had written like, "Oh, this is totally normal in SaaS or in sorry in tech." Um, Sorry, you don't understand in so many words.
1: What's totally normal? What she's saying is totally normal. Waiting
0: to use the label of CEO before equity, which is is just not true. Elon Musk calls himself like something create like it the the the, like name and role of CEO literally means nothing. There needs to be a president legally, (laughs) but like. Right. It's not, it's not tied to equity. It's just, it's truly not. So it's
1: tied to hubris. It's, yes. Yeah. It's tied to ego. It's tied to pride. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: And roles and like, you know, recognition, like we, we know what CEO means. And so I okay. felt by her saying, you can't use that. I'm like, is this on the table, right? Like the table of
1: equity. So let me just recap this. You're having this conversation, you're getting ready to launch two weeks out. You referred to yourself in the launch letter as CEO. And there was pushback from one of these co-founders that you brought in from the original three Correct. around so, yeah. you using this title. Yep. For, for, yeah. The three of you first, you, Derek, and Nora, plus this other person. Yes. And this other person's the one that said, No, nah, I don't think you should use CEO. And then the Spidey sense started going off. I got I wanted to be inclusive of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and again. labels and titles are important for lanes like who's doing Mm -hmm. what but it really isn't like a huge deal in the in the season of where your business was at is that am I for the most part yeah like
0: it has nothing to do with equity and everything to do with like what responsibilities do people have and it's like if that's on the table where do I fit in I think that's where I started to question because it's like what would I do like this doesn't make it. it wasn't adding up (laughs) in my head when she's running product right So that exchange happens. I say, great, I'll change it to co-founder. Fine. And then and then the timeline that we now know is the next day, she um, had a new business page with a new name up, a new company. And that Friday, so this is now two days. So this happened on Wednesday. Thursday, the date is the same date that um, was the day after the Slack exchange. And then that Friday, she attempts to delete any connection to dev stuff. So we're talking about communications in Slack where files were exchanged around dev. We're talking about dev folders in Drive and the dev board in ClickUp. We don't know this yet. This is just out of whatever. There's other things happening where we're actually asking for sign signatures and addresses to be put on incorporation docs that Friday. And she comes back and says, I need my lawyer to look at it. And we're like, there's there's nothing... There's addresses. like Your lawyer does not have to look at getting an address for incorporation yet. So she holds us on that. And Monday is our normal standing meeting. Again, we're in the pandemic. It's the end of May. She comes to a Zoom call that has always been 90 minutes long. She comes off camera and she says that her she's picking up her kids' stuff from school. Schools were opening up where parents were going back and getting things. Remember, like it was, it was a little dramatic. Yeah. I'm not saying she's lying. Never have I ever had that happen. And we were going to confront her and say, why aren't you signing things? She doesn't come on camera. Um, the meeting goes on for an hour and I can't remember what we talked about. And then we have another 30 minutes. And I said, great. Can you come on camera and talk about why you're not signing the documents? No, I can't. I actually have to go. There's another call in text. And I'm like, this is not feel good. Something like we all were like, this is not what is she doing? What is she doing? Tuesday rolls around and she writes in Slack and it was Derek's Spidey sense that went off. I accidentally deleted stuff in ClickUp, I thought. And ClickUp's confusing and, and it made sense. And Derek was like, no, something's weird. Goes to all the trash and finds it. So he recovers everything because she didn't actually delete it all. So we recover everything. Now we know that she has officially gone behind our backs and like deleted stuff. Something's wrong, right? We didn't know the extent again that she had a business page up or anything like that. And that's just stuff that comes later. And our equity meeting is now a week away. And so we, obviously, the other three co-founders, are having very serious conversations about what this means. And I mean, that was a long-ass week because I just wanted to be like, what are you thinking? What's going on? Like, you know, do we... And so we operated as if we knew nothing, obviously. And we just prompted her for logins of stuff. And um, so we filled the slack with her excuses so we could take screenshots of it. And we try to communicate with the developer who we've been communicating with. He... Totally starts communicating and then silence because he didn't know, right? He had to be told not to talk to them. No joke. And so we have all of this is, is documented officially in Slack, the whole timeline, all the conversations. We've downloaded we downloaded every Voxer. We have like everything. Real quick, what were you, what are you feeling? Oh my God. You're just so scared. Crisis. Okay. So scared in that I just don't know what's happening. And you're it's one of those things when someone acts in a way where you're like, can't explain it, like you my brain goes to oh my gosh she could be thinking this da, da, da. like I want to analyze everything like this is her move this is her play I want to be prepared so you know I I tapped into to advisors and colleagues and and lawyers that this conversation was like this is happening we don't know what's going on and it was just like what's she gonna do like why is she doing this and we just had to wait for her move and that's what we did and the the question became like you know is she gonna use this as a negotiation chip at the equity table like I have everything everything like i could run away from this and and that's like one thing we were thinking is she gonna have the guts to show up to the equity meeting what are we saying how are we organizing this equity meeting like clearly we don't want to partner with something somebody who did this like that we know Mm -hmm. did that kind of thing and so we just had to wait it was just wait to see what her plan was and the day before the equity meeting late afternoon we got an email that said um from the advice of my lawyer, advisors, colleagues, friends, I'm not, I'm not going to move forward with this company. It's not the name Hello Audio, and I'm not going to move forward with this company. No, no hard feelings. You guys are all amazing people. And then the next sentence is, "But I own everything." In so many words, she said, oh, "I own geez, the, I own wow. the ideas, the rights, the copy, the blah blah blah, the features. I, I'm copywriting it and under my company, and it is patent pending." So that was the end thank God my lawyer was available. Cause I went into like, Oh my God, what do we do? Because it's like that at that moment, I felt like now we knew what her play was. And okay. So yeah,
1: let me jump in though. Cause so not only is that the perfect storm of global pandemic, (laughs) you have someone who you brought into your original triad and added a fourth person now effectively, is this accurate? Stealing your work. It's not. Is that a correct word? It's not. Stealing. Or how would so you,
0: what my lawyer not said. Stealing. What an, yeah. So, so my lawyer basically was like, okay, cool. I'm sorry. This is happening to you. And in so many words, he's a tech lawyer in Silicon Valley, like, you know, has an office up there. We, that's why we hired him. And he's like, this kind of happens. And I'm really sorry this happened to you. There's always legal weird okay. battles. You know, obviously everything has its nuances, but he's like, what she said is false. That is not how okay. copyright works. Not only can you not copyright ideas, which she put in that sentence, it we collectively worked on something. Whether or not there was ever any written thing that said, Lindsay, Derek, Nora, you know, this person and this developer are building this thing. And like, this is who owns it and how and all the things would be even though that document didn't exist, which clearly looking back would have been great. We did this collectively, collectively, and that's called joint copyright. So we actually all okay. have rights to that code. Okay. So our lawyer, so she didn't. Yeah, so she didn't. Okay, steal. Right. She is, she's
1: taking the narrative and saying, I own everything to intimidate and puff up. She took a collective piece of work and was saying inaccurate things. Right. Okay, so while you're dealing with this within COVID, yeah. you also had your second miscarriage. While this is going on, and, and miscarriage is something that is just so common and so not discussed enough, mm-hmm. and so many people suffer in silence. So how were you navigating this loss and moving through all of that, while the loss, like with the loss that betrayal brings in with, you know, the loss of what was COVID brought on all of us. I mean, again, that's like a perfect storm trifecta of loss. Everyone has a
0: perfect storm in 2020, right? So literally the baby was conceived like that week, (laughs) like looking at the, not even kidding, like looking at the timeline and everything, which um, so yeah, fast forward to about literally a year ago is when I knew I was pregnant. And the first miscarriage I had actually also in a very disruptive time in my other business, <laughs> which is a side note. And also the first, it's like it's tied to, um, uh, we could talk about identity stuff as well. Lindsay waited for a long time. Lindsay likes to achieve things and like, babies weren't really that thing. But the in August 2019, I took out my IUD and I got pregnant immediately, like no period, nothing. This is someone who hasn't had a period for seven years. so. That I was shocked of that miscarriage, and that miscarriage was like in October of 2019. So actually tied to the early days of of this, like me not being a CEO of a tech company, I was also processing personal loss and how that was tied to business for the first time. Wow. Yeah. So in June, I find out I'm pregnant, and you know, this is like weeks after watching her sell the thing that I created and pretend like I don't exist. Um, so there was joy in being pregnant, I guess, and being like, okay, cool. Like we're gonna have this quarantine baby. <laughs> right. Like of course that would happen in August. We actually had the miscarriage. So it was like nine weeks. And I think we went through like 13 weeks of thinking everything was fine, which is how that works. That's the thing with miscarriages it, it usually happens early, but you're still sitting with it for 12 weeks. And and I think this was like my 13th week of thinking I was pregnant, even though the fetus was not for like nine weeks. It's like, that's a long time to be in the headspace of, okay, like this is what we're gearing up for now and to get a little bit further than last time. And so I think that tied with all the turmoil of business is like, if you think about what's going on hormonally, I mean, all the things, right? So I just started really just thinking about how do I get into my body and recognize stress and emotion and release and all those things. That's what I got to explore in the fall. And I got more space for that when my thing was finally out there. So we were able to like officially launch in November. And that felt really good. And and then sounds like it was healing. It felt like it It was healing. Yeah. And I think that the uh,
1: the miscarriage tied to that. So yeah, it was, it was a lot. I, and, and, and so I'm just saying from your experience, right within the early stages of this second company that you're building, and then you're sharing what you're learning. So I want to wrap up with your latest venture with Hello Audio, you are learning who you want to bring on, how you want to invest. And now you're connecting with leaders who are saying, we care about your company and about your well-being. And I'm thinking how many times I've seen people in both my clinical and leadership in these positions face down, and they can't show it because they're afraid of losing trust. And they don't- I'd love for you to share about your latest venture that you're about to embark on with your Hello Audio business. I'm I'm, I'm so excited. And, and I, I also want you to talk about briefly, because um, we could talk forever, I Lindsay, I know this, but one uh, But about just the power of networking oh, in this story too, because, you know, networking often has a dirty connotation to it. You and I love it. Like to me, like when I realized like, that's actually a part of my work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if I put that in it's not something, I'm just a splurge. Like it is, I love it, but you and I are both extroverts, right? You're mm-hmm, an extrovert, mm-hmm. right? I, want to, I don't want to, I thought so. And so that is something that doesn't wear my, my nervous system down. So share, share with us, um, you're, what you're about to do, I because you and Derek are packing up here in San Diego yeah. to do something so cool. <laughs>
0: so we got into TechStars Atlanta, which is an accelerator, a very high-profile accelerator, and you know they have thousands and thousands of, of companies that apply every year, and their acceptance rate is like two percent. We we got in, and it's a big deal. So we're moving to Atlanta, and it's a boot camp style kind of. We're going to help you make sure you do this right. Right. And so, us going in and being like, how do we scale? You know, to avoid burnout, how do we keep right all these things, all these values that we're establishing as a company? Um, TechStars is very founder friendly and and give first mentality, and we love it. And so that support and that network is is huge. Um, so we're very excited. And that's what we will be spending this summer on. I think the other side of it is going to be, you know, Hello Audio 2.0. Uh, the other side of it is going to be a multi million dollar raise a seed round. And yeah, this is where we start building the thing that I guess is like, you know, the, the way to, I don't know, the tech, the tech thing. I, I, it's funny. I was like, say it. It's like, I just felt, I like, it's like some people spend their lives knowing that they're going to build a tech company and they get into all of that. And it's just like, this is just so new to me, but it also feels really good. And, and to your point earlier of like, finding the people that values I align with and making sure they're on my board and they're in, like investing and they know where I stand on things. That means I have power to change this institution, you know, potentially from within, which is what drove me in teaching. And so I was gonna say yeah, that. Yeah. there's that thread of like if the money isn't driving me to do it like why are you doing it it's this journey and this this process and i and i see myself getting on podcasts and talking you know with people i respect in this industry to talk about what it what it's like to build a tech company in, in as a female with an idea like how do you do it and how prepped and prepared we are for it so i like also see this like i'm doing this because i want to show other women like they are totally capable of doing this and that like there's money out there to help grow companies that have impact and have aligned values with how they want to see the world be different and better and that we can do better. And and so that's the cool thing. It's like, if I could build a, you know, a, a company that goes public, it's like that impact you can have on hundreds and hundreds of employees. Why the fuck not? Why not build it? And like, get the right people around you to help you do it. So Techstars is a part of that because I do, we do need guidance.
1: So yeah. I, yeah. Let me jump in though, because part of you getting in yeah. with this, with getting this bid was because you were networking. You had met someone who was in the pipeline. Yeah. With he's a global pipeline manager. Yeah. Of Techstars. And what stood out to me is you just wanted to continue to yep. serve and be generous yep. with someone who... You enjoyed someone who, wow, this is a fun connection. You didn't have an, an agenda, but you knew that this was a really important relationship. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to help him out and just be generous without an ulterior motive at the time because you were at a different place with things. Maybe things were starting to spur. And I think that really just stuck with me when we first spoke mm-hmm. is just... I look at networking as how, how can I just be yes. generous and not like generous, like, and then maybe they'll give back to me. It's just, it feels good. It feels how can I just be generous? Period. And and I think it's important to note, even the, I always say this, but grief is the biggest clarifier. You know, the grief of betrayal is sometimes harder for me at least to work through. And the grief of loss is sometimes is so painful. It takes my breath mm-hmm. away. But whatever the iteration of grief is, it clarifies what yes. matters and what doesn't. And I'm hearing this happy ending like you moved through, you got the support of lawyers, you leaned on your co founders that were original, Derek and Nora. And friends. Um, you checked the stories and you got the help. You reached out to me to get some different resources yep. for as you're getting clarity on how your body and brain mm-hmm. work. You stayed the course. You got clarity. You even said, I need to be more embodied. That was one of your takeaways after the second miscarriage. So an embodied leader mm-hmm. is someone who has a high capacity to feel. Mm. And if you have a high, higher capacity to feel, you're not going to shut down. As Brene says, armor up. As we say mm. in the IFS world, we say protect, You know, have our protectors come in and we don't have to hide. Mm-hmm. And then you're now able to disrupt an industry that is like on steroids with bro- Burdens of white supremacy, <laughs> toxic masculinity. And so you're moving forward. So I just think it's, I wanted to say that this is something, and it wasn't easy. And you also didn't know this is where you wanted no. to be. You were literally sometimes taking one step at a time. So how did I do with that summary? No good. As I was my exactly. threads, Okay.
0: It is one step at a time. You don't know what's around the corner. There's a threat, there's some threads you're following. There's breadcrumbs, and you look back and you're like, wow. <laughs>
1: Wow. So how can people find you and connect with the work that you're doing? Yeah,
0: you can go to helloaudio.fm. That's like the easiest thing. Um, Because there's a link to like the Facebook group, I would direct you to the Facebook community. If you search Hello Audio community, I think if you go to actually www.helloaudio.community, that actually is the direct Facebook link. That's the coolest place to kind of like learn and see how other people are using it because they're sharing their use cases, their wins, um, you know, tech questions, all of that. And so we run a great little tech community there. And and I think that's like kind of the best place, I would say, at the moment.
1: Awesome. And and then Instagram, you're yeah, at.
0: So all the handles are Hello Audio FM across Instagram. But for you too. I want the... people to
1: follow you oh, and
0: me <laughs> Who needs yes. this? I'm like you. <laughs> you. On Instagram, I'm Dr. Lindsay Padilla. And I believe same thing. Like business page isn't the business page anymore. So like Facebook, I'm Lindsay M. Padilla or whatever. So you could just
1: Google me. Okay. We'll get that all linked yeah. in. We'll get that all linked in. Well, um, I can't wait to maybe I'll have you come back on the other side of this experience this summer. Yeah. Hopefully celebrating some things. But hey, this was I know we we covered a lot of territory today. Thank you for hanging in there with me through all of it, but I think it's so important important. important for people to see that sometimes we just see success Mm. or we just see, or we just see a conflict. And then we have our own stories, but know that we are being a business owner, being a human is a complicated, windy road. So thank you for showing up. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lindsay. Really grateful for your time. When you decide to make a pivot with your work, or take a risk with a significant relationship in your life, you are entering into a stage of growth that can be lonely and a bit disorienting. It may even lead to a crisis of identity, which can stir up a lot in you and in those around you. The trusted support from her husband and affirmation from other thought leaders who saw how her skills could be used outside the classroom helped Lindsay move through her crisis of identity and take the leap to be on the exciting path she is on today. What beliefs or fears may be holding you back from making a shift in your work or personal life? How have your needs and interests changed from early in your career to now? And what support systems respect and value your desire to innovate and change? I know the life I thought I would have and the one I have now are very different. All I am doing today is fueled by my diverse career journey and all the paths I've been on are interconnected, but making those changes meant evolving how I saw myself. It is so important we remind ourselves what we work for, desire, and invest in 5, 10, 20 years ago can vary, even drastically, because we do not stay the same. We are dynamic, not static, and it is normal and healthy to grow and desire change, no matter how hard it can feel to move through. Leading is hard. Leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values, your mission, your boundaries. Navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence, clarity, and calm. You do not mind making the hard decisions, but sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex and polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small. Leading today is not a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster a hope that is actionable and aligned. When the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead, when time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity. Then, unburdened leader coaching is for you and where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently from the status quo. To start your unburdened leader coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining this episode of the Unburdened Leader. You can sign up for my weekly unburdened leader email find this episode show notes and free unburdened leader resources along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com.